Hey, good afternoon, everybody. You are listening to Breaking the Mindset, the podcast that's centered around breaking down the fear and building up the fire that lives within each and every one of us. Uh, we're going to be going over a variety of different things while on this podcast, from financing to more sensitive topics such as mental health. So without further ado, let's uh, go ahead and get going. I am Ryan Pierce. I am a student worker here at the Cruz Center for Entrepreneurship, and I'm the president of the Collegiate Entrepreneur Organization on campus at the University of Memphis, and I'm excited to be one of your hosts. Hey guys, my name is Daniel Smothers. I'm a junior accounting major here also at the University of Memphis, as well as one of the other student workers here at the Cruz Center, and looking forward to this podcast. I think you know, we're looking at doing something kind of new is kicking off a fireside chat series where we're just sitting here talking about, you know, kind of seeing what topics come up. Um, so this podcast isn't going to be as structured as some of the others, but I think that in that free form, that free flowing ability that we're going to get some good conversations. So at that, I guess we're getting started. Yeah, totally uh, free flowing, totally free flowing. Um, ah, man. So na- naturally just kind of... Um, Hearkening into what's on my mind. I kind of want to get your thoughts, Daniel. Um, we're in September. You can really round it up to October by now. What is it? Six going on seven months of post-COVID? Sure. <laughs> um, honestly, man, how have you navigated these past six, seven months? What has it really been like day to day? And even just now? So I'll say for me personally, especially towards the start of the COVID quarantine, whatever we were doing, um, that it was more of a, what are we going to do? What? Because yes, we've got school, we got classes, but as soon as summer hit, there was really not much to do. So for me, it was more, okay, what hobbies can I jump back into? So I ended up going and getting a fishing license here in Tennessee, just to go and do fi- go fishing once or twice a week, just to get out and go do something other than sit and look at the same four corners of the living room. Yeah. Like, there's only so much that you can take at the same walls, and there's only so much on Netflix. Mm. Yeah. Only so much. <laughs> uh, but just finding that time to sit there, yes, we are in isolation, but that time to get out and do something safely. So, like, one of the things that I found was useful was just driving around, getting in the car, driving around, listening to music or some different podcasts or things of that nature, and just going no destination no goal just get out and go and see the town in the safety of your car and away from everybody else yeah so i don't know just navigating that covid quarantine even now it's still very interesting with masks still being mandated um and things just now starting to open back up fully it's like this is weird it's not normal to see so it's still that adjustment stage of what will things look like afterwards yeah, if this is the new normal, um, you kind of find out a lot more about yourself in situations like that where you're thrust to change rapidly. Uh, for me, I worked. I worked my behind off. I just started picking up more internships, just trying to better understand the entrepreneurial ecosystem. I think that was my mission when, when COVID hit. Um, you know, after coming off of you know, years of just working in the space, having a startup to work on and things like that. When COVID hit and we had to close things up, um, I wanted to take that time to improve the areas in which I was weak. I didn't understand much about financing (laughs) at all. It's weird to say coming from a former operator of a company, uh, but I didn't understand too much about how to raise capital, about how to grow your business. I wanted to understand and learn that more in depth. Uh, One thing that I didn't put on my uh, 
one thing that I wasn't able to X off of my list, so to speak. I wanted to learn how to code. I kind of wanted to learn how to do something in tech, you know? Mm. Like, there are so many people that I've come across that have incredible ideas, but they just can't really bring it to fruition beyond the research and the early development stage and develop their MVPs because they just don't have the skill set to, to do so. Like, man, especially like being in entrepreneurship and understanding tech, let alone being able to actually build tech is so critically important. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. Like, whether you have a, more of a small business that has more traditional processes, you need to have a clear understanding of how to operate in this digital world that we're in. Well, I remember towards the beginning, we uh, we had jumped on the phone a couple times during uh, that quarantine time, and you're sitting here, we were talking about a lot of different things that we were looking at doing, and one of the other ones you brought up was gardening. You <laughs> to get into gardening, agriculture, just learning that space a little bit more, just yeah. because there's a lot to learn in that space, and it's a good, not only useful skill to have, but also in learning new areas, you can see different ways in which things can be improved on. What could potentially be a business here? What does this industry look like? What does the farmer market look like of the guys who are growing stuff in their backyard versus at a massive scale? Can we bridge anything here? So, like, I remember us talking about that a while back, too. Yeah, you know, even I'm glad you brought that up because it was around that time I did actually have a bit of a concept around gardening. And I saw opportunity with it. So my mom, she wanted to reestablish her garden during that time. She did a great job. She's growing, I believe, uh, I'm not going to miss it and mix it up. She's growing vegetables. That's all you can eat to know. Vegetables and fruits, like, like people grow. But uh, my stepdad, what he did, he built this elevated platform so that mm -hmm. she can grow above the soil. Yeah. Uh, essentially like creating her own pseudo type of ecosystem. An that, elevated plant bed. An elevated plant bed. And I thought that was so cool. He just got some two by fours together. It cost around 80 bucks to manufacture. And he built it for my mom. And it's been working incredibly even around you know, different seasons seasons, and things like that. And I saw a lot of opportunity uh, there. I've, one thing for me, I've, I've always been incredibly passionate about economic and community development, you know. Um, <laughs> and you're laughing because, you know, we really try not to get into this topic. Uh, I have a tendency to really ramble on this kind of stuff. So we were trying to steer clear of this, but it ties into so much, Daniel. Um, man, like, all... Our lives are predicated by what's within our environment, what's within our reach, the access to resources that we have. And food insecurity is a real issue that a lot of particularly low-income areas face. Whether you're out in the sticks or you're in the most densest part of the cities, uh, food insecurity and food deserts are a real, real issue. And you're seeing a rising trend over the past five previous years up until now with urban gardens that were started with regards to um, you know more healthy food options within these areas. But no one's really truly been able to figure out what equation that really looks like uh, and it, I found that really interesting and I wanted to pick up gardening to try and figure out how to utilize that well I'll throw in on that um, you know something so a bit more background on me uh, my dad uh, he was a missionary kid and he grew up in South America for a lot of his early life uh, Paraguay for a little bit more specific but one of the things that he said that they had down there was there was a very most of that country was low income. Like there was a, you had extreme wealth and then you had extreme poverty. I mean, yeah. literally side by side, one guy in a mansion with multiple swimming pools, fighter jets. Like this was one of my dad's buddies. Literally he, his dad was some government official. He had fighter jets that they could go out and fly and all this stuff as a kid. Yeah. But then right next door, you had these cardboard houses that were put together, just be, barely holding up. 
But one of the things that he talks about is down there, they have such a different take on nature. So like here in the United States, if we see trees in the way, we'll cut them down and build the road. What they would actually do down there is if they had a tree, such as a mango tree, something that actually produced, they would build the road around it and then build a fence around the tree to protect the tree because they looked at that tree as this is something that gives off, is able to help. That tree is owned by the local community. If you're hungry, go grab something from it. I mean, everybody had trees in their front yard, and they actually had an urban legend that if you would go and pick off the last fruit or the last of whatever was on the tree, then the boogeyman would come and get you. But if you look at what that did, that always left some food on the tree for who really needed it. Yeah, for somebody And that's not what we have in America. We have, well, let's plant these trees because they look pretty, not because they actually serve a purpose. And we've gotten more to an aesthetic versus functionality that I think has harmed us in a lot of ways. Not to mention a lot of the issues that we deal with with regards to deforestation. Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, there isn't so much emphasis or priority amongst many of our legislators to save <laughs> to save uh, this beautiful planet that we have you know so now I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more and I even saw something as simple as an elevated plant bed as a potential opportunity to help get produce to people so I was kind of interested in that clearly not interested enough because I didn't start the garden but you know that it might have been something I got into a little bit of it yeah. uh, I ended up getting some carrots some bell peppers jalapenos and had some corn for a while but it that's a it, cool assortment. It, it didn't do... That's a pretty good the, assortment there. The corn itself didn't do much. The jalapenos were great. They were really? hot. I'm surprised um, that would grow well in the, in the South. Well, what I ended up doing was the same thing as the elevated plant bed. I took a five-gallon bucket, drilled some holes in the bottom, and then put the dirt in that bucket, and then just planted inside the dirt. Yeah. So in that, it's elevated, it's off, mobile. it's got the nutrient. It's mobile if need be, but it also doesn't get crowded out by the weeds. You don't have to sit there and weed it every single day or every week. It's there. You get it going. You water it two, three times a week, and you're good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was pulling bell peppers, jalapenos, um, and then I pulled carrots not too long ago, and the carrots were actually pretty good. Really? Not the little baby carrots you buy in the store, but the <laughs> actual long, like, six-inch, foot-long carrots. And yeah. it was cool to see just from start to finish. Yeah, I imagine so. Huh. We should really get back to, like, gardening and producing things more. I think we've become a bit distant from where our food really comes from and how that process really ensues. And just feels like we just go and we just – it's just abundant. Like, these things aren't abundant. We can grow these. Well, and another thing that I found interesting and I started doing some research and looking into was microgreens. So microgreens mm-hmm. are Explain. different slightly in the fact that they are – greens that you harvest early on before they can grow into full fruition. So you Hmm, wait until they're sprouted maybe four to five inches above sprouts that size, and then you cut them and eat the sprouts Hmm. because those sprouts are more densely packed with vitamins, nutrients, and what you need than sometimes the full-grown plant is. So you can sit there, eat those, and they've got a short turnaround time. I mean, only a week, maybe two weeks. And if you sit there and have that on a rotating scale – you start this plant um, on Sunday, you start this on Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, mm. and two times a week, every week, you're able to get some of these nutrients that you're missing in your normal diet. Uh, and it's healthier because you're the one growing it. You can sit there and depending on the seeds you get, you can actually make that self-sustaining. So uh, if you were to grow those plants out to a flowering stage where they put off seeds, you can grow one full crop that seeds and gives you the seeds for your next. 
there's a lot of interesting stuff in just learning new markets. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, with entrepreneurship, we get so pigeonholed in our own. We refuse, we don't learn or we don't think about what other industries, what other markets are there and spending that time to learn a new skill to see what that market looks like. I mean, the idea that fishing has stayed pretty similar, regular for the past hundreds of years, thousands of years, and there really hasn't been much innovation in there other than, oh, this lure looks slightly different. Yeah. What could we really do? Like, is there a better way than just a line that gets thrown in the water and dragged out? Like, but if you look at that, there's a thousand different industries with a thousand different potential solutions. Just being willing to open up, look into a new one and learn. I, I totally do agree. I think in venturing and going down that process, you learn a lot more about the psychographics of individuals that participate in a particular industry or field. When when you even mentioned fishing, it was kind of interesting because I don't think people really wanted to change. A lot of it is the process of just throwing out the line and seeing where things go. Like if you had something that was a bit too streamlined, I'd imagine it would take away from the actual therapeutic aspects and the enjoyable aspects of just going out there and fishing, you know? Well, it depends on the intent of fishing. Are you fishing to get away and escape, or are you fishing to catch food? Well, if you're catching food, there's nets. And, of course, for streams and lakes, it's a bit different. But, you know, if you're in the ocean, you can get a whole bunch of fish. Like mm -hmm. A school, so to speak. I think that's what they call it. A school of fish inside of a school net. School of fish. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. But, I don't know. Like, I think um, fishing how it's done today doesn't totally disrupt the ecosystem around it you know and there would be that, that would be my potential fear uh in seeing innovation within that space not that i wouldn't be open to it but we do have to like you know be mindful of the planet that we are on you okay. know and that even goes back to the farming and deforestation like we can get so swept up in innovating and growing and creating new things that we begin to harm the very planet that we're that we're on you know i believe it was jurassic park uh we were so caught up in if we could we forgot to ask should we mm -hmm. i I'm butchering the quote, but it's um, Jeff Goldblum, the scientist, mm -hmm. is sitting there and he's talking about the dinosaurs that got recreated. And he's looking at it going, we were so focused and we were so, our attention was to test and see if that was our limit, that we didn't question, should we try and hit that limit? Because not thinking about the repercussions that would come after. I mean, with T-Rexes, the, uh, the Tyrannosaurus Rex rebringing that into an environment has a completely different outcome and change on what that environment looks like. Uh, you introduce a new predator, environments change. I mean, if you look at... <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially a T-Rex. Well, that wasn't very smart. I haven't seen the movie, though, so I can't say. You've never seen the Jurassic Park movie? Never, never. I get that reaction every single uh, time. Uh, yeah. This podcast better light you up. Okay, guys, if y'all are going to reach out to us, reach out to us over business, but also... Reach out to light Ryan up, sit here and tell him to watch the Jurassic Park <laughs> movies, please. I'm, I'm sure I'm not missing out on too much. It looks pretty good. I, I rode the rides. It's a classic videos. series. It's got to be watched. It's a series? Yes. How many? There's like four or three? I don't know. I think series can be hit or miss. Like there's a common theory that after like the second one, generally it's no longer a good series. And that, that holds up with a lot of things. I think The Godfather is an example of that. Um, personally, and I'm, they're probably just going to tear me up for this, but... What's going on with the Fast and Furious series? There's like 11. Aren't they going to space in this next one? Like, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. But doesn't it seem a bit ridiculous they're going this far? You know? But it is one of those things that at the end of the day, you need to know when to stop and move on. Agreed. Like, yeah. you can continue to milk a cow, but at a certain point, the cow has no more milk to give. And it 
It's annoying. Yeah. Not saying that the Fast and Furious movies are annoying. I haven't seen enough to be able to state. Have you seen but, any? Uh, I've seen a couple of them. Yeah. I've seen the first one, I can say for certain. I think I've seen one or two others. So they race, and there's like guns in there too, I think. And so I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll just keep Oh, this community's going to light us up over this. It'll be fine. It'll be okay. They need to know who we are and what we're about, so yeah. I have uh, some things to add to my movie list, so mm-hmm. yeah, we know that for certain. I was mentioning before, though, um, about the the urban gardens, though, um, and the opportunities that I could see with an elevated, you know, plant bed. Um, I think of being able to teach people how to plant. Actually, I dare say, taking it a step beyond that, creating some sort of network or environment in which you can create produce in these areas in which they don't have access to quality food, let alone digestible food in, in a lot of aspects that aren't fast food. Um, yeah, that'd be very, very powerful. That'd be cool to see. One of the best ideas came out of Imagine You. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Imagine You is a 12-week immersive entrepreneurship program that's housed um, by the director Mike Hoffmeyer out of the Crew Center for Entrepreneurship. Uh, it pays students $3,000 to essentially uh, create their own businesses and go through you know, stringent and uh, important tenets of entrepreneurship like customer discovery, like professional development, and a lot of different things. Uh, and one of the best ideas that I saw from a peer of mine when I was inside of the internship a couple years back, he had this idea for vertical farming that was done inside of shipping containers. And he do, he's no longer doing the idea, but mark my words, that is going to be one of the next projects that I, that I pick up. I'm serious. I think there's a lot of power in being able to distribute food to people that need it the most. You know? Well, I think especially with the, um, the way the technology has been evolving, the resources we have, we're not limited as we have been in the past with our farming, our gardening. I mean, you can, and yes, they're not the most effect, effective, but you do have black um, grow lights that can grow. So even if, for instance, you take that shipping container, you prepackage it, let's say here in the United States, and you package it all up, you have it to where it's self, it is on an automated system, and you ship it over boat. Nobody has to go into it. Nobody has to do anything. But when it arrives, wherever it's going, it's got those that fresh produce. It's got everything that it needs so that when you drop that container off and it's opened up, people can go in and grab food. That's viable. That is not difficult to do. Your hardest part is figuring out the battery, how yeah. to get keep the power over time. But I think that's a small issue for the problem it would be solving. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I totally do agree. But one of the things that I do think is worth noting is, you know, we talk about the importance of learning some of these skills and making that self-sustainment. But if you look, uh, there actually used to be a um, garden just a little south of campus, a community garden where you just pay like, I think maybe five, maybe 10 bucks a month to get your own little plot in this area. And you could garden. It had all the water, like it had a water hose and a spigot and everything that you need. And people from the neighborhood would come all over just to garden in that area. That was probably 10 years ago that I remember, because I... Oh, really? Yeah, I remember being there and seeing it because um, one of the neighbors that my grandparents had uh, was working in there, and he had his own little plot. If you go and look at that spot now, it's all houses. Yeah. It was in the middle of the neighborhood, but somebody sold that lot, decided it would make more sense to put houses in there than provide that community aspect. Hmm. Their property, their decision, but I think that community garden had a lot more viability, and the fact is, it did bring the community together to sit, talk. Hey, 
I'm confused. I've got this crop, but it's doing something really weird. What's yeah. going on? And that ability to learn from some people who are a little bit more experienced, but also for the experience to teach the younger and keep something going. Because at the end of the day, you can create, you can offset your cost. I'm not going to say you can be fully sustainable on just your own garden in your backyard, but you can significantly offset your cost for a negligible amount yeah. of investment. Yeah, I mean, there truly is, you know, power with having knowledge. And you can just, it's a fireside chat, so why not, you know, get into it? But I think our education systems, and it's not a controversial yeah. topic, but seriously, yeah. our education systems do need to be somewhat flexible and malleable over time. I mean, it's been very fixed for millennia, you know? Um, and I think it's important for us to input and add new skills that can be taught to the next generation of people. You know, things like being able to garden, things like the importance of tech and coding. Like there are a lot of communities that are left behind because these important skills aren't interwoven within education as it stands today. And it doesn't prepare people for the landscape that they're entering after they graduate. Well, I think that's another important aspect. So, and this will be an interesting point that we'll see how this develops, but I actually got word the other day from somebody who works over at CBU that they're going to be teaching a hunting class, literally a college class to teach people how to hunt, working with the biology lab to see the impact of hunting and how it does help keep a, if done properly, keep the environment in check, in line, and sustainable. I dare say, even extending beyond that, a lot of these important ideas, these important um, skill sets, shouldn't be housed in the upper education levels. I agree that they need to, they need to be all through public education. You know, from gardening to coding, even the environmental effects to hunting and how to properly hunt. Like, um, I think that needs to be taught as early as possible. Fiscal responsibility. You know, with regards to saving, budgeting, um, or even moreover, how to apply for a loan. Uh, a lot of different things. So I'll throw in on that and say it's important, but it's not – how do I say this? It's important, but if it's going to be done, it needs to be done right. I took yeah. at um, the high school I went to down in Soto County. I took a class there that was a personal finance class, and it was an absolute waste of time. I did too. The teacher sat there and showed us a bunch of Dave Ramsey videos on... <laughs> did he get a contract with the state of Tennessee and I, Mississippi or something? Because, well, yeah, that was all That was all we, we used to watch in my personal finance class. But when you watch them every day for weeks on end, you get tired of listening to it. I don't think, it's, I don't think it's totally you know true. I mean, not that there aren't important tenets inside of it, but you can't save your way out of poverty. You can't budget your way out of a lot of these things. I mean, of course, there's an ad to fiscal responsibility that everyone needs to understand, but... Like, I, I think there's much more to finance than just being able to properly budget and look at your money, you know? And a lot of it also comes down to the education that you get. A lot of it, I think some things need to be accounted for uh, with regards to where you come from, some of the issues that may exist within your current, you know, ha- home life. Like, it's not, finance isn't black and white, I would think. The tenants are, but applied to different individuals' lives and things like that, it's not just as easy as saving and budgeting, you know? But it, and it goes back to the education piece. So yeah. me being from Mississippi, I've seen a very interesting education system, uh, to put it nicely, uh, and a bit more background on me. So originally I went to DeSoto Central High School, but then for junior, senior year of high school, I went to this amazing school called Mississippi School for Mathematics and Science. And it was an awesome opportunity for me to 
step out of my comfort zone, go and take essentially college classes, complete college classes. I mean, I was running the college schedule starting junior year of high school, and it was an awesome opportunity. I was living in a dorm two and a half hours away from home with people that I didn't know moving in, but I got to build those friendships, got to make those relationships, got to learn people and learn how to learn differently because at that point it wasn't just memory memorization and regurgitation it was no learn it listen to it apply it how does this then move on to change something else down the road but going from the DeSoto County school that I was at to the math and science school there was a world of difference because while yes DeSoto County schools have a good and well funded uh, school system. Funding it can only do so much. The math and science school, what they had was they had the teachers with the passion. I disagree. Okay. I disagree. I think funding can do all of it. You know, just so okay. here's the thing like, there needs to be incentive, moreover. So, like, you can recruit the passionate, the good teachers. You can recruit the best teachers. You can have the best programming if you have the money behind it. Well, and the point that I guess I was trying to make was. You can throw so much money at it, but if you don't get the teachers, then it's pointless. But I think the teachers come with money. And honestly, I I don't like the the idea that there's good teachers and that there's bad teachers. Now, granted, yes. No, no, no. And I I see your face. No, I, I, I see your face. Of course, yes, it's important for teachers to be passionate about what they do for certain. But I think having teachers that are well resourced. And having teachers that aren't well-resourced is really the more distinguishing factor, you know? There are a lot of teachers that can't afford markers and pencils for their kids, let alone a lot of essentials that are needed to actually, you know, teach certain things. At the math and science school, I mean, God bless them, I'm sure they had the funding to properly support their teachers. You need tools to teach, and if you don't have the tools, then it's difficult for you to do your job. And I think after maybe years of that that up and down, it can be difficult, man. But there were a lot of teachers that I remember, uh, even in middle school, that they were just there because that's the route that they could take, and it wasn't their interest. You can't say that. I mean, you, you can't say that. I mean, and I hear, I hear you, but, like, respectfully, the I... The coaches that are teaching a math class. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm man enough to, like, yeah, like, adjust and, and say when I'm wrong. Yeah, fair, fair enough. But I can't, you can't use a broad stroke and say for everyone. No, or, the, or even the majority that it's just well, something like, to do. The coaches are a rare example because whether or not schools would often tell you, the coaches are there to coach. And you know what? Even And I'm glad you mentioned that. That's not a good thing. If, if you're going to bring them on to coach, just pay them to coach. Don't have them run a history class that they're not going to teach effectively. Or a personal finance class where they just play Dave Ramsey each and every day. And that's part of the issue too. But also, if I may... That goes back to the funding. A lot of schools generate money from having successful sports programs, specifically football and uh, basketball, baseball, yeah. a lot of these. That was the basis sports. of most of the Mississippi schools was where they got their funding. If they it was didn't the schools. have a good... Teams. Excuse me. Sports teams. And what's scary, Most a lot of sports are canceled right now. So what does that funding look like? It's These issues bother me. It bothers me that we don't have proper funding for schools, and as a result, kids don't have the skill sets that they need to effectively become the, the innovators that they have the potential to be, the, the, the leaders that they have the potential to be. You know, It bothers me that it's difficult for people to have access to quality and affordable health care. 
That's an issue. Like, oh man, I came into entrepreneurship because I was sick of the bureaucracy that was oftentimes attributed to government, be it at the local level, the state level, or the, the federal level. Um, and I'd, I'd like to think that all of us as individuals, despite our political ideologies, want to do a few similar things. We want to take care of our families. You know, we want to have uh, the proper resources to uh, achieve some sense of success. And we just want to be left alone. <laughs> you know, and I think with that, there, there should be a lot of room for um, to bring people together. There should be a lot of room for collaboration. There should be a lot of room for uh, support of one another. But that's not the case, man. Like... It's it, it's so our our political decisions literally create the fabric and the framework for our lives, man. And a lot of these issues with regards to how schools are financed to a lot of different things can be effectively changed through government and through well through voting properly and also through innovation. And I just ugh, these things are fixable. Well, in fun fact to throw in, secretary uh, or superintendent of education in Mississippi. Um, has a salary of $300,000. Let that sink in. One of the school in the states, Mississippi is not the 50th in education. We are not the worst. But like 48. But, but 48 doesn't make it any better. 49 doesn't make it any better. <laughs> you but got that right? <laughs> it's awful. But we're paying... We're paying the person who's supposed to be in charge three hundred thousand when these schools are struggling to even. You elect on. the superintendent. Yes, but also, is the super? If we have to start making budget cuts in our education system, I think I know where to start. I think the budget cuts. Education should be last, if not next to last, for budget cuts ever. But it always seems to be the first. Like I mentioned before, voting responsibly is so important. And I'm not talking about red or blue here. I'm talking about understanding what, in the ways in which civics works. You elect your superintendent. You elect state legislatures that stipulate that he should get $300,000 when you have kids who can't afford school lunches. These things really, really matter. That's the next startup. That's the, hey, mark my words. Man, I, one thing I would love to see, I'd love to see some sort of uh, information bank or some startup that would easily and digestibly house the voting records of each and every politician. It doesn't matter, you know, red or blue or what have you. If you can see people's voting records and a summary of what, what that transpired and um, why they voted the way they voted, that would really help a lot of people better understand that these party lines can really aren't as important as we like to think that they are. Well, and there's a lot of people who play the party game, but they don't vote accordingly they do it to get the vote well yeah i mean and it's just a natural scheme of government you have to you have to compromise but sh should we really have a system in which in compromising we comp we as the people the taxpayers compromise programs that we need does that make sense like it, it shouldn't it shouldn't have to come at a cost to us more often or not. And that's part of the issue. I mean, there's a lot of big corporate interests with a lot of these different politicians, and that's another reason as to why it seems like we have a zero-sum game. It shouldn't work this way, because more or less, Daniel, no matter where you come from, where I come from, what you believe, what I believe, more or less, as American citizens and taxpayers, we kind of want the same things. We more or less do. 
Now, granted, media can come in and distort our perception and view of the things that are dangerous and things that aren't dangerous, but at our base, more or less, we kind of want the same things. We don't want crazy high taxes, right? Uh, and if we, if we are taxed, we want great education systems. You know, we want to have economic and employment opportunities, and we want the best for our families at base, you know? And we want to have our civil rights and civil liberties protected, our religions. Um, you know, we don't want to be pers persecuted for our religious beliefs. We don't want to be persecuted based on the color of our skin or our gender. We want to have equal opportunity for everything that we do. Um, we just want, <laughs> we want, I hate to use the term liberty because I feel like it's, it's misused so much today. Uh, but we want our, we want respect and decency more often than not, you know? And it's, it's so frustrating because everything that we yell and bark about, we can have, we can attain, and everything is fixable. We just need to make the right decisions at the ballot box, you know? And remember that this world that we're living within, um, the society that we live within has been constructed by us. We have the tools that it takes to make things better. The other thought I'll throw in on that is, yes, it does take us being responsible at the ballot box, but it can't just end there. I agree. We can't just sit there and say, oh, it's politicians have to fix it all. We need to be willing to take that step and move forward. And here's what I will say with that. And I do agree. I think that's why nonprofit organizations are critically important. That's why working within your community is so critically important. If you're really doing the work in your community, within your neighborhood, you're going to vote because you understand how things work. You understand the importance of it. I think that's another interesting thing. Like even within this digital age that we live within, we become somewhat distant from our neighbors. We become somewhat distant from our communities. Community is kind of a, a buzzword like diversity nowadays. I don't think people really understand and know what it means and the importance of it. You know? Can I throw you on the spot? Yeah, yeah, sure. Who's your neighbor to your left and your right? See, why are you asking all these questions, Daniel, that the people clearly don't care about? I'm joking. Can I you could... state their names? I'm a rare example. And no, no and I say, I'm going to answer no, but I'm going to say why. Um, I live with my mom maybe during Christmas break. Okay. Uh, I'm usually on campus in a dorm more often than not. I'm living with my uncle just for this semester, and I'm with my grandma like on weekends. Yeah. So like it's You're a little bit place. I'm kind of all over the place, but st still, to to your point, no, no, I don't. And that's a challenge to also go out to the listeners. Can y'all name your neighbors? The people that y'all may have been living beside for a few weeks. Some that you may have been living beside for a few years. You know, I I'm actually not gonna take myself off the hook, even translating that to my dorm. Like back in Carpenter Complex here on uh -huh. campus, I lived with like four other people. I only knew like one guy, Sean, downstairs. He was like my RA. The other two guys, I didn't really know. Yeah. I knew, I knew one guy's name, but I really didn't. I didn't know them. But to put that in perspective, we have gotten away from a society where, you know, used to block parties weren't uncommon. Like everybody get out, grill out, hang out, talk, be with one another. And I, I do recognize, yes... Right now, in this very moment, we are still quarantining. We are still still trying to be safe and stop the spread. But at the same time, even before now, nobody was really getting out, inviting the neighbors over for dinner one night. Nobody's been lighting up the grill and saying, hey, come on over. Let's sit down. Let's have some fun. Let's talk. It's, no, I'm going to do my own thing. And when you do focus on doing that own thing, go back to economics. When you focus on trying to do it all yourself, the value you lose in specialization can't be made up in your own. So like when you're working with a 
second country or whatnot. And yes, we're going into a mini economics lessons. And sure. Ryan, you can probably attest yeah, this can. even better. But if two countries who both have their own different specializations work with each other in trade, they can produce well beyond their own natural production um, mm-hmm. yeah, capabilities know. combined. But if they work to get on their own or combined, they can produce more than they ever could on their own. So kind of going into economics, though, and this even is breaks down into human behavior. Um, you naturally wouldn't work with someone else who specializes in the same thing because they're kind of competing in the same market. What you would want to do is work with a country or work with someone else that is weak in the areas in which you are strong so you can extract the most value. And that's a really interesting way to think about how we think nowadays. You know? But I would also argue that your neighbors aren't your competition. Well, yeah, I mean, this yeah. is this is where things get weird because you... I, <laughs> well, yeah, because well, yeah, you really can't translate the economic examples so, so much to the uh, the neighbors. But here's, here's what I will say. Um, in the basis or in the context of incentives, man, like, you can speak to it, Daniel. We're so busy all the time. You and I spend so much time up here. Uh, what do and, you mean? We, we're only in here for so many hours. <laughs> yeah, like, we're, we're not here till 11 o'clock at night. No, who would ever do that? I'd, I'd push that to midnight. But uh, the, the reason why I say that is that, man, like after just the hustle and bustle and the craziness of each day, it's just easy to want to come back and just not have to deal with being social sometimes. You know, sometimes we kind of like our own bubbles, and I think that's a lot of the issue. We like our own bubbles, you know? So... Yeah, I mean, that's a real that's a real issue. But also, until this country and this world faces the issue of race head on, I don't think we'll really be able to break down with a lot of these issues because um, w- with regards to cultural differences, cultural practices, and different perceptions and perspectives that are created and cultivated through our ideals uh, or identification of different races and things like that, which is societally you know, placed on us that we identify with. But I'm getting into sociology and stuff like that. Um, yeah, until we can deal with the concept of race and stuff, we're not going to be able to come together and truly have those block parties with different groups and things like that, you know, effectively where everyone's welcomed. You know, I think people are scared to jump that line. You know, it's funny, though. Everything from education, everything from, um, you know, food insecurity, everything from, you know, um, community organizing. It's really interesting in a weird way, <laughs> even just naturally, we kind of wove through a lot of the societal and systemic issues that are passionate to us and also a lot of different people, I think now would be a great stopping point and a great, uh, you know, precursor to our discussion next week on the Link Organization. We've mentioned it a whole lot here with, um, here on the podcast, but we haven't given too much basis for it. With Link, what we effectively wanted to do was create an organization that supported the efforts of remedying or eradicating issues of food insecurity, you know, um, issues within our public education system. Because much like you said, and like I firmly believe, although our voting habits are critical to the conditions of our communities, it's not until you get on the ground and start working within your community that things are really going to change. And it's not just voting alone. It takes much more than that. And that's what we wanted to do with Link. So when I find it funny that, you know, we talked, Ryan and I, before this actually jumped in on this podcast, we kind of talked about uh, what we were going to talk about. And we thought we were going to talk about Link at first, but then we kind of moved into this fireside chat. But I think that this really sets up Link next week well. And we're going to keep you on the edge of your seats. We want you to come back next week and listen. Because learning about what the thought process was, the way we were going about it, you know, we didn't succeed off the bat. It's currently in hibernation right now. 
If you can learn from those mistakes and you can take it out and do it in your own community, please do so. That's what we want to see is we don't want it to be us. We want it to be done. Don't care about being the superhero. We just want it to be. So but we're going to make you sit on the edge of your seats and we want you back next week. So you better be looking for that next podcast. It will be uploaded, edited, and published on uh, – this one will get uploaded on – Monday. Monday, which is the 28th. 28th. Yeah. So it's the next one will be in first week of October. We'll get it published for y'all, but y'all got to come back and listen. All right. Thank you all so, so much. So if you're interested in starting your own business, your own organization, please do not hesitate to reach out to the Crew Center of Entrepreneurship via the interwebs. We were going to add the link in the description below to our website. Uh, our, our mission here is simple. We want to educate, develop, support, and connect entrepreneurs and take them to the next level. Uh, please work with us and we can work with you. And I firmly believe we can help you turn your passion into your profession. Don't settle, don't quit, and keep on fighting. Uh, tap into that fire and dismantle that fear. Thank you all so, so much. And we look forward to catching up the next episode when we talk about Link. Thank you all so much. And uh, we're out of here. Take it easy, guys.